0: Hello, and welcome back to the Voluntary Hippie Podcast, where we explore the philosophies of self-ownership and non-aggression from a counterculture perspective. I am your host, J.G. Vibes, and today I am going to share a mixture of new and old content. First, I'm going to share some articles that I have recently wrote relating to the economy and the strange transition towards a free society that I predict will take place in the coming decades. I will also be sharing a portion of my philosophy discussion from this past weekend that took place at an outdoor festival that I attend every year. We only managed to get about half of the discussion recorded, but overall I'm still pretty happy with the content that we got. And last but not least, I will be playing an old episode of End the Lie Radio that I appeared on last month. There are no major announcements today, so we could get right into the show. I will start off with some articles both of which can be found at aotmr.com, where you can also find more information about my book, Alchemy of the Modern Renaissance, which is also available through my website as well. And also uh, Barnes & Noble and Amazon, you can also pick it up at, uh, thanks to Leela Publications, my publisher. Um, So I'll be seeing you on the other side of these articles. This is Decentralized Currencies Thrive in... Greece, and prepping for Freedom Day. Decentralized Currencies Thriving During Euro Crisis by JG Vibes at AOTMR.com Since the market crashes and bailouts that took place in 2008, it has been no secret that the world economy is on shaky ground. For years, those of us who are concerned about the future have been wondering and speculating as to what mediums of exchange would replace the sinking debt-based currencies that now stretch across the globe. The central bankers that got us into this mess will no doubt be using the media to propagandize the world into accepting a worldwide monopolized currency. This is already being hinted at by politicians and financial tycoons in mainstream interviews on an almost daily basis now. Their excuse for this move is that it would stabilize the economy, but this is provably false. The real reason for this takeover is obviously to centralize control of the financial markets. This was the same mentality that created the Eurozone, which is now crumbling and ruining the lives of millions. If what we are experiencing now has taught us anything, it should be that having an economy in the control of so few hands and totally untouchable by market forces will breed corruption, monopoly, and poverty. For the economy to really be in the hands of the people, it is necessary to decentralize the currency and to have an open-source network of competing currencies that are community-based and easily exchangeable. While it is impossible to predict how we'll trade a century or even five years from now, we can still observe how people are getting by in the areas that are failing first and take those lessons into account when the U.S. dollar finally diminishes in value to the point where it is completely unusable. In areas that have been most affected so far in the worldwide economic crisis, there has been an increasing use of online open source currencies. These currencies help communities barter with one another easily and effectively without using the euro, which is becoming increasingly useless by the day. Last month, there was a lot of news about Bitcoin being more stable than the euro, with more and more investors transferring their funds into these types of currencies. While Bitcoin is still popular in Greece and still growing in popularity by the day, another currency by the name of TEM is currently being used by the local city of Velos, V-O-L-O-S. According to a recent article at RadicalSocialEntreps.org, after creating an account, members do business with each other using TEM credits. New members are allowed to deficit spend up to 300 TEMs, which is effectively an interest-free loan from the community. Only by offering demanded goods and services in return can the new members replenish their balances to keep making purchases. Credits are created according to these guidelines as new members join. No central banking or monetary authority required. The ideas behind alternative systems like TEM aren't new. Barter clubs, or L.E.T. systems, have been around for a while. They're most often successful in conditions of extreme monetary dysfunction. Argentina saw the nationwide spread of barter clubs during their various peso crises in the late 1900s and early 2000s. While this idea is nothing new, as technological progress moves forward, it will become easier and easier for people to start their own community-based, debt-free currency. This really could be a great way of sustaining the impending collapse of the forcefully imposed central bank currencies. In the wake of these collapses, people will still have services to offer and still have goods to trade the only thing that will be missing from the equation is a reliable medium of exchange to keep things running smoothly. This is a very important element of our society, but as we can see in projects like TEM and Bitcoin, it is not difficult to innovate and be creative when it comes to currency. It only seems that it would be an impossible task because for centuries, this element of our civilization has been monopolized by central bankers, and governments who had no intent on making things work for the benefit of humanity. What we are seeing now, though, could be the economic model of the future, just in its very early stages. This is exactly the kind of model that we are looking for, though. Decentralized, competing currencies. But again, who knows? I can't predict the future but I can observe the past and present to find the best path towards the future. Sadly, most of our generation has this idea that the world is going to automatically turn into this Mad Max and the Thunderdome scenario the minute that the government collapses or falls. This is the mainstream fictional idea of what things will be like, but this is not the truth. Sure, it can be a lot of fun to indulge in fiction. And there are a lot of great movies, uh, you know, that are out there, which are good allegories that teach philosophical concepts. And there's some out there that are just entertaining that are cool to watch, too. However, it is important not to let these fictions affect our actual perception of reality. And this actually reminds me of an older article that I wrote a while back called Prepping for Freedom Day. Those of you who caught the first episode in my interview with Bob Tuscan might remember that Bob asked me sarcastically if I was a doomsday prepper, because that was one of the terms that the mainstream media started to throw around for people who were starting their own gardens and their own currencies. I responded by saying that I was a freedom day prepper, because I pretty much would be celebrating when the state self-destructed, and I was looking forward to it in a lot of ways. And uh, this short exchange inspired me to write this article. So here it is, uh, Prepping for Freedom Day. This is also at aotmr.com. With the state of our civilization in total disarray, many people are starting to prepare for the possibility of a period with fewer modern conveniences than we have today. Some would call these people careful. Others would call them prudent or wise. Some might even call them paranoid but these days, the mainstream media has branded these people as doomsday preppers. This title not only works to discredit people who seek to be independent and get off the grid, but also perpetuates the myth that a doomsday is even coming. I would argue that we are already in doomsday, and have been for the most part of history. It is true that something is coming the signs are all around us, in the deteriorating economy and culture that we have been raised to worship. So if it's not doomsday, then what is everyone preparing for? And what is all this madness leading up to? Well, it is quite possible that the downfall of this government and this so-called civilization could be the greatest thing to ever happen to humanity. This could be the final fall of Babylon. We could be prepping for Freedom Day, if we so choose. Think about it. Millions feel helpless because they see the madness that is created by these social institutions, such as government, and they cannot conceive of a way that this system could be overthrown. Meanwhile, this system is overthrowing itself in plain sight, right in front of us. Many of us wish that the government could be overthrown, yet we fear its inevitable collapse when we should be embracing it. There is no escaping it anyway. It is already coming, and in many ways, it is already even here. If it wasn't for the Fed pumping up the economy with more debt and fake money, our moment of truth would have long since passed, and it probably would have made things a lot easier for us to deal with in the long run. With that being the case... Their deception is going to run up eventually. They can only play this game for so long before hyperinflation takes effect and topples their already shaky house of cards. This could be an incredible opportunity for the human race if we are adequately prepared in terms of getting our physical needs met, as well as developing the mental and philosophical maturity that is required for the establishment of a free society. While the world seems to be descending into insanity all around us, it is important for us as individuals to assess the kind of goods and services that may be needed after an economic collapse and devise peaceful, sustainable methods by which we can provide these values to our families and communities. There is no doubt that this whole collapse has been staged by international interests who seek to implement their own sadistic plans for the human race when that time comes. However, they will only be able to create their authoritarian slave farm if the slaves ask for this and assist in creating it. The slaves, which is pretty much all of us, will ask for this deeper enslavement only if they are unaware of its consequences and see no possible alternatives. This is why it is so important for us to develop solutions to meet our needs, which will act as our alternatives and the needs of our neighbors without depending on the initiation of the use of force, sorry. As that is the methods of doing business, which has destroyed civilization time and time again. Likewise, it is equally important for us to advance a proper understanding of philosophy and of our current situation, so the population is socially mature enough to be their own masters and to accept the new and unusual nonviolent solutions that will be presented to them by the Freedom Day Preppers. I hope that you enjoyed those articles. Again, they are both available on my website, aotmr.com. And next, I'm going to play the first portion of my philosophy discussion from this past weekend. I hope you enjoy, and feel free to send any feedback to jgvibes at aotmr.com. This next clip is also available on my YouTube channel and a special thanks to everyone who has been sharing this for me and helping me get the message out there. You will notice that towards the end of uh, this presentation I get cut off Uh, so when that happens I'll step in here on the podcast and finish up the thought before I play that episode of End the Lie Radio. So here it is, my presentation from this past weekend's event.
1: ...really get at, but if you have anything to add to the conversation or anything that I'm saying is complete bullshit, please let me know. The last thing I want to do is give bullshit ideas to other people, or even continue to believe in bullshit ideas tomorrow. So if you could correct me on that, that would be awesome. And I hope you don't mind me looking at my notes, because I'm not, like, very professional in this regard yet. you know, I decided to call this a philosophy discussion, so we could be uh, more broad about our topics and discuss whatever, because that kind of encompasses everything, and uh, philosophy has really bitched out over the past couple hundred years. Because people are no longer asking the difficult questions that philosophy used to ask. Like, what is re- reality? W- what is truth? How should we interact with each other? Why the fuck are we killing each other? You know what I'm saying? Why, why do we have all this violence in our society that we still think is okay? Um, so those are the questions that we need to start to get back to asking. Uh, I, I personally believe that most of the... Uh, philosophers that we learn about in school are are pretty much just they were just like hired uh sophists is what they are called people that use intellectualism to manipulate people they were basically hired by the establishment to put forward a bunch of bullshit ideas to justify the current state of affairs cuz around the time of the enlightenment people started asking those really difficult questions again and um, it really started to upset shit. It upset shit in a lot of good ways, so there was a little bit of foundation for the freedom that we have today, but it got stopped short because the people in power were like, nah, we we got to get our own people out there talking about ideas and talking about the ideas that we want. So naturally, um, all of the institutions that teach us everything that we know, the media and the public education system, is corrupted by those people in power that um, basically have control of it. I mean, it's not a conspiracy theory when you say that, you know, the shit in my house belongs to me and I use it the way that I want. That's how they look at us as people. You know what I'm saying? So they will put those systems into action to make us think and feel a certain way. And the philosophers that we learn about in school, they're all like champions of these ideas like human nature and the social contract and all these bullshit things that don't exist in reality. They're just abstract ideas that end conversation when you start getting into... uh, asking those difficult questions. What is reality? What is truth? What is morality? How should we interact with each other? So, um, let me uh, take a look at where I was. Yeah, so it started to get really, really dangerous. And to counter this, um, we just got to talk about our ideas and be our own philosophy. In school, we were taught that philosophy was learning about dead dude's ideas and dissecting all these dead dudes' ideas. And that's kind of bullshit in my view. Philosophy is about us discovering our own ways to figure out what is reality and how we should interact with our fellow human beings and with the other living things on this earth. So those are the important questions that uh, philosophy should be asking. And I think in a lot of ways Um, we have all these questions answered in our own hearts, but we don't live the um, life in reality that we live in our hearts. In, In our hearts we know that, you know, violence is wrong and, you know, it's... It's better to negotiate with people than to use force or to threaten people, and um, that's that's no way to interact with another human being. But we create these proxies, you know, corporations, governments, these legal entities that people can hide behind so they aren't held accountable for their actions. If you're a person that fucks up, I'm all about you being held accountable for your actions if you inflict the, you know, harm on somebody else. But the way it's set up today, it's not like that at all. It's to basically put people into submission and um, make obedience a virtue for people, and that's how it's seen today. Uh, anybody that that doesn't fall in line with what everybody else is doing is seen as somehow bad or there's something wrong with you. And as, as you're here today, I mean, I'm sure you've experienced this. I mean, a lot of us have found our way to this place because there isn't all that bullshit expectations that you have out there. Um, I'm sure we got a whole bunch of different people under this roof with a whole bunch of different ideas, and we don't give a fuck because we're not hurting each other over our ideas. And we have figured out how to transcend the differences in our ideas and interact with each other on a peaceful level. And if we could do that on a smaller level, then there is no doubt that we can do that on a larger level. And uh, that is basically called the microcosm and the macrocosm. If anybody's heard of that, that's the term that they use in philosophy. Um, the macrocosm is the larger uh, aspect of things, and the microcosm is the smaller aspect of things. And like the rage scene, is a, a microcosm of a real civilization uh, because we all have people in this community that fill certain needs and um, we interact with each other to fulfill those needs and we figured out peaceful ways of doing that. And there are plenty of other microcosms too. Uh, on the internet there are so many different groups of people that have figured out how to interact with each other peacefully without using violence, without throwing people in cages, without forcefully extracting money from people. Because it's all, it's all good and well for us to get together and work on projects and put, put our money together for shit But if you got one guy running around with a gun saying, empty your pockets, I'm going to do some great shit for you, that's not going to work out any good for anybody because violence started that process. Instead of a negotiation where you go up to somebody and say, here, there are these great things that we can do for this community and we need your help to do it. There's no person that's going to say no. There are a lot of irrational people in the world today. And a lot of that is because of what we're born into. We adapt to the situations that we're born into to survive. And especially as children, we have all this shit imposed on us by giants. You know what I'm saying? Everybody in our world as a child is so much bigger than us. And we don't realize it now when we grow up, but when we were young that's how it was there were giants that told us what we could and could not do with our lives and that is how we grew up so that was how we learned to react with society and I personally think that if we really want to change society we gotta focus on the next generation of people that are coming up and kind of not not impose some of those same things on our children. And that's not to say that our parents did anything wrong. They, too, were just living with the world that they had to live in. But every generation, you know, they interact a little bit better with each other. They treat their children a little bit better. But shit is getting so crazy that, like, a lot of things are in our generation's hands, because our ancestors have been forced into submission so much that they had no voice, and our generation is the first generation with a voice. You know, thanks to the internet and all these means of communication that we have, we finally have a voice, so we should use that voice. And that doesn't necessarily mean getting in a situation that's going to get you pepper sprayed by bleach. And I don't hold anything against anybody that gets out in the street and does that. I think that's commendable. That's not my approach because I don't see it as effective and I see it as hurting a lot of people. So I look at what works and it seems that For the idea of domination and for the domination mindset, what has worked is imposing that mindset on children. And um, the idea that children are these wild beasts that need to be controlled and molded into what we want them to be is this idea that we carry from the stone ages that um, once Christianity came around they started calling it original sin which is basically, we all come out these evil little devils. And that wasn't originally a Christian thing. Uh, Nothing really was. All religions, it's just a language, it's just words. It's just different people in different areas who interpreted things differently. And they had different people that spoke different truths. Um, And there's all these people hating each other because they speak different languages and speak the same truths with different words. And, um, like a lot of things we've seen with these religious texts being, you know, rewritten and, um, you know, corrupted by rulers, to say all of this superficial shit. Don't eat, don't eat fish on Tuesdays, don't have sex till you're married, don't do drugs, all that bullshit. Um, instead of what all of the, all of the people that believe in the religion, there is one reason why they do and it is what we all believe in the rage scene and that is plural peace, love, unity, and respect all religions on the good level, on on the fundamental level that people connect with that is what all those religions identify with and in philosophy uh, that plural is is getting very big. They don't call it fler. They call it the non-aggression principle. And it's been around for a long time, and now it's just starting to gain some traction now that we have the internet. It's basically the idea that we are all human beings on this earth. We're all equal. We're born equal. And if we don't get in somebody else's way, or hurt somebody, or screw with something that they have obtained legitimately through their own labor, then nobody should be able to tell us what the fuck we should do and not do with our time and our resources. Uh, That is a situation that I think is causing people to act irrationally. Because when you put somebody in an impossible situation where they're born to be free, and to live, and to do the things they want to do, and from birth, they're constantly put into a maze, it it makes people fucking angry. I mean, why do you think people are so pissed off in prison? Because they're trapped in a goddamn cage. And the same thing with public schools. Sure, there are beneficial things that people do learn from schooling, and I'm not saying that we should not teach children shit. But I don't think that we should be forcefully doing it and forcing every single child to learn on the same exact level when everybody is a unique individual with their own talents and their own aspirations and you make people think that they're fucking stupid because they don't fit into that cookie cutter mold. And then people go through their lives thinking they're worthless and thinking that it's okay to violate the rights of other people. And it's just this self-fulfilling prophecy that we just continue to have. So, um, does anybody think that's bullshit? Anybody want to, like, correct me on anything so far? Well, I mean, like, I don't know how, like,
2: correct you are and, like classical liberalism, but, like, how would you respond to Robert uh, Nozick's argument that in, like, an anarchistic, like, non-aggression principle type society, that, like, defensive associations and protective associations, like, between mutually consenting people to, like, resolve conflicts, how do you resolve, like, conflicts between those associations? Like, like what to stop them from turning into, like, micro or proto-states?
1: Yeah, no, I have heard that argument a lot, and that is something that we definitely have to deal with. But the fundamental issue with the uh, competing private um, defense agencies is that they're not a monopoly. So it isn't perfect at all, And but it is a better idea than having a monopoly, but because then if um, there's a defense protection service that isn't providing the community with a legitimate service, then the community can pull their funding and go elsewhere. Or the person that got fucked over could start their own defensive shit and start doing it that way. And now like you said, that's a valid argument and I'm not saying that it's perfect But I think that one of the uh, important things to do is to decentralize power. And I think when you have one defense agency that everybody is uh, reliant on, you have a centralization of power. So I definitely feel your criticism there. And I think that that is something that we should work through as, um, you know, developing a a voluntary society. thank you for, for adding that and another one of the things that i would add to what he's saying that a lot of you guys might be thinking is like how do we do this shit H- how tomorrow can we can we can we take this apart and and rebuild it and you can't this is a moving train that i believe is it, the the government is slowly crashing and it's slowly imploding on itself it's slowly cutting back services that people depend on, like we were talking about the post office earlier is touching their shit, and all this money was there, it just, poof, disappeared. So, um, what I suggest is like I was saying earlier that like, our generation is dealing with the bullshit, and we're gonna like, roll with the punches as it comes, and, and deal with the situation the best that we can. But I feel that as we have the non-aggression principle in mind while doing that, then we'll work in the right direction. And if we apply the non-aggression principle to our children and treat them like adults that are as big as us, then I think that they will grow the intellect and the compassion and the understanding to contend with the issues that you were just bringing up right there. So i don't think that it is this mess of people that we have to interact with outside of this mountain that is going to create a voluntary society it's going to be our children that do it you know what i'm saying and i think it's going to happen after this paradigm of statism that we see after it fails because it is failing a lot of people want to deny it but this way of doing business, of, of fighting and, and putting guns in people's faces and making threats and saying, we're the big guys, that way of life, I feel, is proving to not work. And eventually, we're going to have to do something about it till we blow ourselves to hell. Um... But yeah, uh, so is everybody kind of familiar with the Non-Aggression Principle? Any questions on the Non-Aggression Principle or how it... Alright, cool, cool. Alright, let me just take a look at my stuff. Yeah, I I basically think that everything that I was just explaining is natural. It's a natural part of human evolution. If you look back at the things that we've done, slowly over periods of time we've dumped these irrational ideas that were forced upon us by our elders and they, they were forced on us as absolute truth everything that we say is true and that has made us completely disillusioned with reality to the point where we don't want to seek truth at all we don't want to seek morality at all and we don't even want to think about how we should interact with our fellow human beings, because it will bring us to the conclusion that how we have interacted, our, or maybe how people have interacted with us, maybe people that we care about, trusted, teachers, church people, family, whatever, um, that that was, that trust that we put in them was disrespectful. And a lot of people don't want to come to that conclusion. And again, that's not saying that these are bad people. Very, very good people, including myself, probably, I'm sure, still toss around a ton of irrational ideas that aren't good. We're all works in progress. But the point is to understand that things do need to get better. And especially with the next generation of people that we are going to be responsible for raising they need to look at the world differently as they're going to be able to create a free society. And, you know, again, I'm not saying that we don't have a responsibility because we do, but our biggest responsibility is with our children. And, and I don't want people to think that you must get active in, in politics or in activism. That's some people's route, and that is good. But finding personal freedom and a personal understanding of freedom is really where you need to put your time. Because that is what is going to be beneficial in the long term. Because they have you focusing on these little issues that are, that are really not going to change by you getting pissed off about it. And then when you get pissed off about it and you try to interact with the system, you get disillusioned again because what's the fucking point? So that's why I try to look at this on a long-term basis, because that's what it's always been. It took 200 years of people bitching about slavery, probably even longer, 200 centuries probably, for people bitching about that, for it to actually get through to people, wow, this is immoral, this is wrong, we shouldn't be interacting with human beings this way and then they they with the founding of this country they got all the rhetoric right like oh we should be free we should do that but then they made exceptions when they put it into action where they were like oh well we need this and we need that and we need to put people's or put guns in people's faces for this reason and that reason and when you give anybody an inch No matter how good they are, eventually they're going to die and the power is going to go into somebody else's hands who could be potentially crazy. And even in a voluntary society, there would still be potentially crazy people. So the last thing you would want to do is give them a mechanism to inflict violence on others without any kind of consequences from the community. And, what's up brother? And like I'm saying, I'm not trying to do this tomorrow. I'm not trying to say anybody that is involved uh, in the current state uh, of existence to fill their own needs to survive. There's nothing wrong with that. you got to live as you see fit and feed yourselves the best that you can in this fucked up world that we're living. But we should still know on a basic level that... There should be some kind of goal in in our society of what we get to. Everybody talks about peace and unity like it's some kind of utopian ideal, but in my opinion, it's utopian to think that everybody can conform to one idea or one way of living, or that you could create the perfect society by threatening people, and by forcing people to do things instead of negotiating with them. So, if people have good ideas in society about how to run things, and they negotiate with people, there's enough people on this planet that bullshit ideas and manipulative people will be cast aside. But we have all these things in place, once again, that protect those kinds of people. So, everybody talks about checks and balances like we could just, like draw these blueprints for shit and have people respect them and that's not how it works. The whole society has to be the checks and balances. And they can only do that if everybody is equal and one person isn't put above another person. Because when you have this situation with, with dominant classes, you're bound to have people who abuse it. And if, if you're a lunatic that wants to take advantage of somebody else, I mean, the first place you're going to go to fill out a job application is your local police department. And I know all of you probably have experienced that shit. So, um, any ideas, anything uh, to contribute? Uh, John? We can can live free right now, right? Like, we,
2: we exist in a state of freedom peace and unity here, right now. Absolutely. Because nobody here I don't think is is coercing or using violence against other people. It's totally possible right now, today, in in our daily interactions. It's just these outside forces that appear to be uh, trying to get in the way of, of peace and freedom. So I don't even think it's a matter of you know, waiting for our children to make a free society, we can start doing it today in our daily interactions by
1: right? right. a- avoiding violence and encouraging peace and, and unity. Very good point. Yeah. Do you also agree with the importance of uh, the child the child aspect there?
2: Oh, absolutely. Because they're going to be the next they're going to be the next generation to, to, and and every generation improves on the previous one, hopefully, and and just, I'm pointing out that you don't have
1: to wait to have children. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I'm... We can do it today. You're totally right. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. And you also reminded me about here, how we're interacting. We don't even use... We don't use that outside macrocosm of violence to resolve our disputes in the rave scene. We do it ourselves. Even with DJs and intellectual property, There are DJs all over this bitch that record mixes with other people's copyrighted technically tracks and give them out for free all over the place. And I, maybe if there's DJs here that know any better can correct me, I don't think I've ever seen a DJ or a producer take a DJ to court over playing his tracks in a club. No right? So we don't need to enforce those bullshit standards. And think about how innovative our music is to to boot because we can keep on uh, creating new things without having to worry about somebody suing our asses over it. That's why we have 20 million sub-genres of electronic music, you know what I'm saying? Because everybody has the freedom to take somebody else's great idea and make it better without suffering a negative consequence, you know, in the form of a threat. And uh, thank you for, for, for reminding me that point because I really wanted to bring that up. Yeah, I saw a lot of
2: really cool aggregate types of activities going on with the vendors and stuff, you know? It's just uh a wonderful market of ideas and creative people. It's really beautiful to see everybody pretty much interacting deeply and not having
1: problems. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and even if you keep the black market aspect aside, um, you know, around here, if somebody is in need of something that they forgot on their way here, booze, cigarettes, water, flashlight, anything you need to It will be somewhere either for donation, for sale, or, you know, for borrow. And there's nothing wrong with any of those three things because both...
0: So that was where we got cut off because my camera died. What I said after that was that in all of those circumstances of buying, trading, and giving, both parties involved in this exchange are winners and no one is forcing anyone to do anything. This is the nature of voluntarism. Later in the conversation, I answered some questions uh, and concerns from the audience, and we talked about the drug war and some other issues relating to psychedelic drugs. We also talked a bit about um, nonviolent communication and the impending economic collapse uh, that I was talking about earlier in those articles. You will notice that some of the comments that are made are a month or two dated in this next clip, but overall the content of the discussion is timeless. This is um, my exchange with Madison Rupert of End the Lie Radio as well as Kurt Williams and Bob Tuscan. We're basically talking about the nature of the global power structure that sits atop the governments um, and uses them to pretty much control the population. So we're basically talking about the ruling class. In a roundtable so the host Madison Rupert is really awesome he puts out great articles every day so I highly suggest that you bookmark his website and he has really created a great platform so if you enjoy the following show before be sure to tune in when you get the opportunity to catch it live so here it is uh, my appearance on end the lie radio And after this, I will be signing off. So have a good week until next time.
3: And welcome, one and all. I am Madison Rupert, your humble host of End the Lie Radio. And welcome to today, this Sunday. May 27th, 2012 edition of End the Lie Radio, and we have a very special show for you today with Bob Tuscan of the Bob Tuscan Show, Kurt of Room 101 Radio, and JG Vibes. It is going to be an incredibly interesting show. And for the first hour, we might bleed into the second hour on this topic because it, it very well might get heated, Uh, we are going to discuss or debate who exactly or what uh, is at the top of the power structure. What is running the world? If you visualize uh, the world the world power structure as a pyramid, who is at the very top? What is the capstone? That is the question for today. And I just want to say I am completely impartial on this issue. I have absolutely no idea what the capstone is on this power structure, and I don't pretend to. Um, and so that's why I think this uh, topic for today will be very interesting. And I will kind of uh, act as, as a moderator of sorts, although I doubt anyone is going to get too rowdy or anything. Maybe Bob will. but uh, Yeah,
4: yeah, I was going to say.
3: Yeah, exactly. Might have to keep Bob in check, but we'll see. Um, and of course, you can chat with us in real time and get in on the conversation by going to bit.ly.com forward slash ETL radio. And of course, you can watch past episodes on YouTube.com forward slash end of the lie and they are commercial free as well. And please connect with us on Facebook. We broke four thousand likes very recently, so that is a, a huge landmark for us. And that is Facebook.com forward slash end the lie. And so let's start off uh, maybe we can start off with just a a short intro statement uh, from everyone let's start with uh, in alphabetical order how's that Bob uh, please go ahead
4: thank you for having me on your program Madison or should I say your unprogrammed because we definitely want people to be an autodidact and make up their own minds and I like to take the puzzle piece approach to things I like to collect all the puzzle pieces, and when they fit, they fit. When they don't, I don't necessarily totally discard of that piece. I kind of keep it there to the side and see when it may fit in the future or if it fits at all in the big picture. Now, that being said, I see the power structure, the pyramid, if you will, as more of an octopus than anything else. And I think that's one of the reasons why we see so much divisiveness amongst the so-called alternative media, and that's because they are deliberately playing on having you choose whether it's the Vatican or the Jews or the reptilians. And effectively, they're dividing us and conquering us, Uh, and that is something that I'd like to represent as a part of this discussion, that at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. Aberrant behavior on some level is just simply aberrant behavior.
3: Well, that's a great point, Bob, and I, I agree. I actually, last year, uh, wrote a, a, a piece. I think it was called, it's been so long now, I I can't remember exactly, but I'm pretty sure it's called a blueprint for the unification of uh, the truth movement, I I believe. And basically, my my overarching point was exactly what you just said. At the end of the day, we're all working for the same thing, and all of these these, uh, potential uh, entities at the top of the power structure, in my mind, are equally guilty and should be treated as such. But uh, let's move right along. Kurt, if you would
5: please uh thank you Madison um you know i have to really go right along with uh you know and i'm not trying to copy bob at all although he is a very uh I don't know how you would say, uh, you know, you want to emulate Bob. No, I'm kidding. Uh, But this, uh, you know, seriously, you know, I was thinking the same thing uh, as long as the lines of this divide and conquer. We could could literally say that our own fear and ignorance is at the top of the pyramid because that's really what's ruling this society. Uh, You know, uh, sorry, but a compass and square with a G in the middle does not you know, rule my life. I'm not, you know, overpowered by symbols. It's my fear that may interpret a a symbol or a, or, or, you know, this, this pyramid eye and all this, it may, it may, you know, strike fear into me, but really what, what, so, so what is the, what is the source of that fear? that source of that fear is our ignorance and not knowing. So I'd have to go, kind of go along because I think it's really counterproductive to take and say, you know, because you do, you have all of these, you know, really heated debates sometimes where, you know, someone will say, no, it's the Jews or no, it's, 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 you know, this banker or, or it's this or it's that. Um, and, and that does, that brings a lot uh, about a lot of fighting um, a lot of, uh, you know, really getting, getting, you know, misdirected and and going off and being really counterproductive So i'd have to say uh you know i don't know what what you know holds all of the power in in its hand i don't know what the capstone is all i know is seeing it from a ground level from the bottom of the pyramid ignorance fear apathy that's all destroying us at a very uh local level at a very bottom level
3: so if I could encapsulate that in, in a single word, essentially uh, it would be our own psychology,
5: correct? I, I think in a sense. Now, granted, that's the, I can't really say that that's, you know, in my opinion, that's not all of, of what, you know, is going on here. I think that's a very significant part.
3: Well, I have to agree with you there. Fear is one of the most powerful tools uh, to be wielded against people, if not the most powerful. We've seen it leveraged across the ages through various uh, various incarnations, be it uh, the fear of terrorism and the fear of you know al-Qaeda uh, terrorists hiding under your bed or the fear of, of burning in hell for eternity and so on and so forth. But moving on, J.G., uh, please please dissent a little bit, because we're getting a little too much agreement here, and, and that's not good. <laughs> but I'm just kidding. Please, J.G.?
6: Um, well, I think uh, both of them did make very good points. Um, Bob, in the sense that it is more like an octopus than, um, you know, a, a capstone at the top, um, even though the, the pyramid is a good representation of how resources are distributed um, in our societies. Um and also um, where Kurt says that um, the major corruption that we're dealing with is a philosophical one, and um, it's, you know, all these bad ideas that are causing people to do messed up things. Um, But as far as control in this world goes, um, there's definitely aristocracy. Um, And I I think when you know, these terms that we have like today, like uh, Illuminati or New World Order or whatever, That that's just, in my opinion, that's just in reference to the aristocracy because nobody wants to talk about the aristocracy anymore. Right. And um, when I say the aristocracy, I would
4: include
6: the Vatican, all of the royal families, that probably all of the royal families all over the world, um, as well as um, you know, the gold and oil families. Um you know, all of these people that um hold the world's land and resources, I would say that we can look to them for who controls the societies. Um, but I think that there's a lot of infighting. They're always fighting over who who gets the biggest chunk of the pie and um You know, there's there's a lot of that going on. But like Bob said, it is like an octopus. There's so many levels. I mean, the the Vatican hits people on one level, and then they have the banking families, and then they have, you know, military countries. And, I mean, even the countries that we don't think, um, you know, that there's aristocracy in just because we're not around it. I mean, in pretty much every foreign country, it's the same as it is here, if not
3: worse. Yeah, I agree, and uh, I, I think the the octopus analogy is is quite apt, especially because uh, when when you think about it, you know the, the the benefit of having an octopus, except not an octopus, more like an infinipus, you know, with infinite tentacles, um, mm-hmm. is that you can chop off any number of those tentacles, and the uh, The infinipus, if you will, would still be able to uh, grab you and squeeze the life out of you. So I think it's very beneficial to uh, have these multiple incarnations so we can be pointing our fingers in all different directions and think we have the answer when none of us really do. But unfortunately, we're coming in on the first break. You're listening to Enzoi Radio, a very special episode on today, Sunday, the 27th. We will be back in a moment. Welcome back to End the Lie Radio. I am your host, Madison Rupert, and today with us we have many guests. We have JG Vibes, Bob Tuscan, and Kurt of Room 101 Radio. And I just want to throw out their websites. Kurt is room101radio.net, Bob Tuscan is bobtuscan.com. Big Sibelius.
4: The oh, yes, that. of
3: course. And the Intel which carries a lot of my articles as well, which I'm grateful for. And JJ, yeah. what is your website? Again, it's A O T M R. Am I correct on that? That is correct.
4: He got okay. it right on the first try, JJ. How many times did I butcher it on my show?
6: <laughs> well, the first time I was on your show, you got it right completely all the way through. So we'll, we'll just count that, yeah.
4: Okay. That was off
3: the top of my head, too. I, I'm, I'm quite surprised I actually got it right. Maybe because it's uh, it I, I found it so strange, it just stuck in my head. What does that mean, by the way, J.G.?
5: Um,
6: it is the acronym for my book, which is uh, Alchemy of the Modern Renaissance.
3: Well, there you go. That'll, that'll make it even easier to remember, or perhaps harder, because I have to remember the whole title now. <laughs> uh, but... Uh well, you know, since we mostly agree on this issue, I want to change the focus a little bit and it's still closely tied in. I want to ask you guys where you think we should direct our energies and how we should direct our energies in terms of activism uh, and so forth, since, you know, this, it is this infinipus, if you will, with infinite tentacles. Um, and yes, I did coin that. I'm going to make a Wikipedia entry for that, for that, uh, <laughs> that term now. Um, but let, let's discuss where we should focus our energies in this fight, if you will. And uh, now let's do reverse... Alphabetical order, so JG, you go first, please.
4: Um, I, I think that the most important place to focus our energy is
6: just philosophy in general, um, because you know, I mean, if we if we try to like tackle one, you know, uh, organization or, or even one group of people or even, you know. The energy, solving the energy thing would be good, but I mean, just in general, the way that our species looks at the world needs to be corrected, just just like it needed to be corrected when people had open slavery and arranged marriages and all that craziness, um, we're still behaving in extremely primitive ways, and the only way that we can prevent that from happening is... Um, you know, to have a, a better understanding of philosophy and to change our philosophy, um, you know, into something that's not violent, to something that doesn't accept violence. Um,
4: and yeah, I but really JG, the, these violent cultures, I don't mean to interrupt, but, you know, th- this is relative to their cultures, JG. There's no such thing as objective ethics. Uh, it all depends on their, you, you know, their humanist perspective, their uh, cultural relative perspectives.
6: Well, I mean, I would, I would agree with you in some senses.
4: I mean, I, I, some I'm saying that tongue in cheek, by the way.
6: I, I, I figured you were. <laughs> but I mean, there, there are some things that are completely relative and subjective, and, um, you know, that that we can totally you know like the specifics of religion and and spirituality i mean that's all personal subjective stuff but um you know when it comes to ethics and it's it's people are have the potential to get hurt and yeah exactly it's it's important to you know nobody wants to get um, hurt, nobody wants to have things stolen from them. Nobody wants to to be violated in any kind of way. Um, you know, so it's it's definitely important uh, for everybody to agree on what's up. and it's easy to agree because nobody wants to get hurt. So don't hurt people. don't use violence. I mean, that's that's pretty easy and that doesn't get into people's personal lives i mean that's why people have a problem with religion because a lot of times it tells them you know really really irrational things about how to behave and not hurting people not taking things from people that's that's definitely you know pretty solid but overall i definitely think that it's a multi-generational thing I mean, this is a battle that has been fought forever, and, you know, the, the revolution didn't start when we f- found out about it. You know what I mean? This happened ages and ages ago, and it might go on for a little bit longer than we want, you know?
4: You know, Anybody? that's a really good point. If I could just pick up on, on one thing you just said there. Uh, the powers that shouldn't be these guys like Kissinger, or if you want to name names, uh, it doesn't really matter to, to to get at what I'm I'm talking about here. The fact is, every 100 years or so, they die. And as much as they want to be transhumanist and they want to prolong their lives and uh, keep uh, certain technologies for themselves, they've been, unfortunately, under uh, the restraints of only being able to live for so long, even if they think they're gods. They die, and every hundred so, years or so, we get another group, uh, whether it's from their bloodline, or just merely the fact that, uh, just merely the fact that we get another group of people that are aberrant, that are evil, that are operating under a system that remains, perhaps. And I, I think that's very important to understand to get a, a bigger picture here, a true end game, if you will.
3: Yeah, well, I would definitely a, agree. Yeah, that's that's a phenomenal point, and I agree. Unfortunately, this is uh, I, I'm sure a multi generational thing. But Kurt, please jump in. You've been silent.
5: Yeah, I have. Uh, you no, know, you know, I I think that it, I'm one that doesn't like to feel that my my efforts and my energies are being wasted. Um. So I think that where to fight, where to attack. You know, the one thing that really comes to my mind is uh, what I read in Dr. John Coleman's book about the Committee of Three Hundred, which is up there near the top of this capstone that uh, we were we started the show off with. Uh, not the very top. I don't think any of us really know, but. To, where to direct your your energy to, as far as activism and doing something about this is well individualistic, in my opinion. And I think that, like JG was saying, you know, it really starts in one's mind. I don't like to to do something for nothing, and or fight for something that is is a lost cause to to begin with. Not that. Fighting against, uh, you know, a new world order is, is, you know, well, for one, it's my opinion that it's the new world order is an idea. You can't kill an idea. This has always been an idea. This is not a, a you know, a group of living people called the new world order. It's a conglomerate of different, you know, groups, societies, uh, all fighting, all working towards one common goal like we should be one thing that sticks out in my mind in Dr. John Coleman's book is, well, we're going to be, we're, we're, we're being ambushed by so many things. You have so many things jeopardizing our future right now. You have the, uh, so the, the subject of, uh, technocracy, the smart meters, um, you have the economy, you have the endless wars. We are being hit by all sides where i think that's really you know it's really kind of a question that no one can really seem to answer and that is what you know what do you choose what which direction do you go in your activism and there's so many things going on right now i think it's hard to choose just one but choose one that that you may stand a good chance in fighting none of us talking today are going to be able to take down the federal reserve so holding a sign in the street that says then the fed seems counterproductive that's my point
3: well, that is a uh, a very good point, and unfortunately, we are coming up on another break. You are listening to End the Lie Radio with JG Vibes, Bub Tuskin, and Kurt. I almost I said Bob T- <laughs> Tuskin. Um, I'm Madison Rupert. We will be back in moments. Stick with us. Welcome back to End the Lie Radio. I am your host, Madison Rupert, and my website, of course, is endthelie.com, and we have a very special episode for you today with Kurt of Room 101, Bob Tuscan of The Bob Tuscan Show, and JG Vibes of aotmr.com. I got it right again. Uh, and Bob, I know you responded to JG in the last segment, but I want to give you a, a, a chance uh, to you know voice on your own uh, a little bit of where you think we should direct our activism uh, in our in our daily lives where sh- where we should uh, place our efforts uh, where the pr- where our priorities should be if you will
4: well I also agree with JG about the importance of philosophy so education should be a major part of the revolution or the re love Lucian or however you want to break down that word. Uh, here's the thing. As kids, many of us aren't getting the classic liberal arts education, you know, the, the trivium and the quadrivium. We're not being taught to think for ourselves. We're being told uh, to recite something or regurgitate something at command. And both J.G. and uh, Kurt Wilson and I have discussed education. Williams. Did I call you Wilson Williams? <laughs> Kurt Williams? <laughs> I don't even know the guy's name, let alone. Uh, <laughs> anyway, Kurt knows I love him. Uh, bottom line, uh, the uh, education front is a, a major uh, place to put our attention towards Uh, And that's one of the reasons why, I don't know if you know, Ms. Madison, but uh, instead of running for the sheriff of Alachua County here in my uh, county, I've decided to change uh, course and run for school board. And, of course, I'm a fan of homeschooling and co-oping and that kind of thing. Uh, So I would probably, if I was elected, abolish a lot of the school boards and only implement uh, education that uh, it goes in line with, you know, John Gallo and... uh, John Gallo, no. Jonathan Taylor-Gatto. You know who John Gallo is, by the way? No,
5: but I know John Taylor-Gatto.
4: Robert Gallo is the one. I was... It's a combination of John Taylor-Gatto and Robert Gallo. And Robert Gallo, by the way, is the discoverer of the HIV virus. But I won't get into that. Um, That is so important in education. I could go on and on about that. But also... The other thing I'd like to emphasize is is the importance of being self-sustainable and not having the powers that shouldn't be control you with you being dependent on their federal reserve notes or their energy system. Uh, And the the best thing you can do in in, uh, order to get control of that situation is get off the grid, grow your own garden, learn how to to get off of the uh, Monsanto-processed madness, uh, and so on. And that's something I talk a lot about and I, I think is an extremely important thing. And I'd much rather discuss those things than have to go over the same old discussion about the Bilderberg. Now, of course, the IntelHub.com and JG Vibes will be at the Bilderberg meeting with our exclusive coverage. JG has been writing a number of great articles for us on that topic. But nonetheless... We can only spend so much time pointing the fingers at, at these powers that shouldn't be, and, without going to a solution or without going to something we can do beyond just sitting here and complaining and bitching about these certain scumbags.
3: I think that's that's a. Phenomenal point, and I'm honestly a bit surprised that uh, no one brought that up already. Although that was one of the uh, the focuses of my discussion with Kurt recently. We we discussed the importance of actually getting active in your own life instead of uh, trying to uh, you know get out in the streets and hold a sign, thinking that suddenly. The powers that shouldn't be, as you like to say, Bob, um, will listen to you after all of these years uh, of giving you the middle finger and then suddenly uh, change just because a bunch of people are annoyed and angry. That has been the case for thousands of years. We have been annoyed and frustrated. But... If we can get ourselves outside of these systems, then we're completely non-reliant, and you aren't putting your uh, meager funds, in most people's cases, into the coffers of these same people. And uh, one person who I think is, is phenomenal in highlighting the importance of this approach is actually uh, Tony Cartalucci of uh, landdestroyer.blogspot.com, and he's also... Uh, his articles are posted on uh, endthe lie. dot com, dot com, the Intel dot com. I mean, pretty much every alternative news site you can list. Uh, post his articles because they are they are quite uh, quite phenomenal, in my opinion. But uh, a while ago, I think last year it was he he wrote a great series about how to essentially boycott uh, these these corporations and this this power this power grid, if you will, by just. Working outside of the system through bartering, through growing your own food, through becoming completely self-sustainable and so on and so forth, you can essentially opt out of uh, providing these companies and these individuals with the funds that they thrive on. And when you do that, you're making a, a much bigger impact than if you uh, walked outside and, and threw up a couple stickers somewhere or, you know, taped up some posters. Uh, you will be making a, a much larger uh, impact in, in that regard. Wouldn't you say, guys? I'd have to agree
5: totally. I mean, I was one of the ones in the very beginning when I really started looking at this and really wanted to get active and find, you know, a way that I could make a difference. Uh, you know, the only course of action I saw was getting out in the streets. And I, and I really thought at one point, hey, these guys are, you know, they they're, they're going to see us all out there and all of a sudden we're going to we're going to change the world and everybody we run into is going to believe what we said, you know, about 9/11. Is going to see the the you know the the, the lies of nine eleven and the lies of these wars, uh, this or that, and that wasn't the case. So, like it's being mentioned quite a bit uh, in your chat room, Madison over at RyanTalkRadio dot com, is that you know self sustaining, uh, hitting a, hitting it at a, a local level. Um, you know, I think is where you can affect the most change. You know, uh, running for a school board, running for you know, sitting in. The the city council meetings like uh, Sheeple 2 did uh, about the uh, Agenda 21. And and things like that, I think, have more of an impact than, like you were saying, going out and holding a sign thinking things are going to turn around for you.
3: And yeah, I, I don't want to poo-poo uh, traditional activism at all. I you know I, I really want to uh, highlight that. I'm not saying if you go out and hold a sign, you're an idiot because uh, a lot of people out there holding signs and so on and so forth are already sustainable and you know they're already engaging in this form of activism. So there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But if you're stealing, still still uh, eating you know food uh, produced by by the the handful of corporations that produce most of our processed food, the, uh, the the source of which, you know, ultimately, likely comes from Monsanto and, you know, covered in Dow chemicals and so on and so forth. Uh, you know, if you're not doing that, I think your priorities uh, should be oriented in that direction before you go out and hold a sign expecting uh, the powers that be to, uh, you know, expecting them to suddenly say, well, you know, that guy's holding a sign, so, you know, maybe we shouldn't be doing this. Maybe we shouldn't be uh, reaping billions and trillions of dollars at the expense of people's lives.
4: Yeah, and I don't see the the sign holding as necessarily directly addressing them and for their sake, uh, whoever they may be. I see it more as just an state. awareness thing. Yeah, because, you know, there comes a point where silence becomes complicit, you know.
3: Oh, I, I agree. I agree. Silence with hard is
5: betrayal, seen. right. Martin Luther King said
3: that. Right. Yeah, and, and so, I think if you're doing it for, to uh, raise awareness and, you know, make people in your community aware and so on and so forth, I think that's great. But, you know, everyone in, in this discussion, at least, and, and a lot of uh, other people who are listening, I'm sure, are already, you know, very active in that regard. You know, uh, J.G. writes quite a bit, and he's, uh, you know, informing the world in that regard. And also, you know, obviously he is on the radio as well. Bob Tuscan on the radio five days a week. and, well, uh, and my mouth. This week's six. Yeah, <laughs> running his mouth and you know uh, flinging his big hair everywhere and so on and so forth. Uh oh. <laughs> And Kurt, uh, of course, is on the radio as well four days a week on, here on Orion. So, you know, we, we are uh, getting active in that regard. And if people aren't doing that, I highly recommend that they do. I mean, there is absolutely nothing stopping, from you, stopping you, the listener, from getting out there and writing on your own. You know, you do not have to have a Ph.D. to get out there and start raising awareness. So I encourage people to do that and, and really get active in that regard as soon as possible but unfortunately we are coming up on another break you are listening to end the lie radio i am your host madison rupert and we will be back in moments stick with us And welcome back to End the Lie Radio. We are coming into the last segment of the first hour on today, May 27th. 2012 and tomorrow is Memorial Day. So maybe we'll touch on that topic a little as well. Uh, we are moving quite quickly today through a, a ton of topics, but it is quite exciting. and I'm sure if you missed a moment, you will not regret going back and listening to every second of the broadcast. And once again, I am Madison Rupert and my websites com and we are on today with Bob Tuskin and Kurt. And JG Vibes, a phenomenal uh, group of individuals to have on talking about these things. And uh, I want to uh, shift gears a little bit and talk about um, what is really going on. Is there a a larger motivation behind uh, all all those things we see going wrong in the world, and all of the suffering, and so on and so forth? Is it just because there is a overwhelming drive for profit and for money and for material goods and do these people really just want the biggest houses and the biggest cars and you know diamonds and so on uh... or is there something more sinister do they uh... do they uh you know enjoy seeing others suffer or do they do they really just uh want to drive 10 bentley's uh around all day long uh so let's let's start with bob and then uh go in alphabetical order once again so bob if you would
4: thank you madison i see the powers that shouldn't be as i like to say as victims victims of a system of scarcity And because they think this scarcity is reality, they act totally different. And the best example I can give of this um, is uh, an experiment that Pavlov did. Everybody knows about Pavlov with the dogs, right? Well, Pavlov also did an experiment where he observed chickens, and he provided the chickens with an abundance of food and water, so whenever they were hungry, they would go to the feeder and It would uh, be there in complete abundance. Well, after observing them under these conditions, he then decided to introduce scarcity of that food and water. And only then did he start to observe certain behaviors. They started to hoard. They started to steal from one another. They started to become greedy. And he could even get them to kill one another, essentially creating a pecking order, a pyramid. Okay. Social Darwinism, whatever you want to call it. And the eugenicist, the social Darwinist, this is what they prosper from. And for thousands of years, this was, on some level, a reality. Because before certain technologies, we only had so much. And their control was more important to them. That being said, there was always an abundance. So how can we trick people? How can we get... Uh, my abundance, uh, and used these other people as prostitutes, as slaves, and, and that was, in my opinion, the development of money. And we can go back all the way to Samaria and, and the creation myths, in which these people say that uh, they use religion, saying that uh, the gods, uh, if you go back to the Epic of Gilgamesh, were made in their image, say their image, because it is them, uh, and they manipulated people through two major functions: again, religion and money. Now, where was I? Where where am I going with this? What 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 is the the bottom line question here? Help me out, Madison.
3: What is the bottom line question? <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, what? what is their ultimate drive? Is it just to create artificial oh, okay. in okay. order to watch okay. people fight and uh, get off on it? Or do they really want to hoard so much and that that is it? And they don't care if everyone else has to uh, peck at each other uh, to just get by.
4: Right. So that, that's where I was going. Thank you very much. Uh, what happens is, after thousands of years of... Thousands of years and and different families and whatnot going through the motions of this. They just haven't been able to get beyond it, even though technology has progressed in the way it has and so on. And in addition to that, they are members of families of multi-generation, traumatic, ritualistic abuse. And the occult and the connection with their practices and Again, ritualistic, trauma-based mind control leads me to believe that they in their own families are possessed, in a sense, with such torture that it's inevitable that beyond any sort of scarcity, because there is this abundance, and they see that. They see that for what it is. They want to keep you under the illusion of scarcity. That's why they... Uh, perpetuate artificial scarcity everywhere you turn. But the bottom line is they are sick. They are mentally disturbed people where their reptilian brain or whatever you want to call it is out of whack. And they will do this psychopathic behavior. They will uh, show us their psychopathy no matter
3: what. Well, that that is a great point, and I think uh, you know when when you're dealing with uh, a lot of these people, uh, it is true uh, uh, sociopathic tendencies. You know, that's that it's very hard not to uh, come to that conclusion when you uh, see the types of activities they engage in. But Kurt, uh, please get in uh, your two cents. You probably have about five minutes left here in this first hour.
5: Man, how am I going to follow Bob? That articulate. Wow. Good job. Bob. I don't
4: know what the hell I was talking about, Bob. But
5: that was good. It, it was Did it good. sound good?
4: Did it make it, sense? It, it
5: sound. It sounded uh, right. very well. Um, you know, is, 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 it, is it for profit? Is it, you know, just because, you know, this or that? Well... You know, when, when you look at a lot of the things going on, the, you know, when you brought this up, Madison, the first thing that popped into my mind. Well, you know, for one, they have so much money. I don't think it's about money anymore. Um, I, don't, I don't really think that it was ever about the, the money itself. I think it was about holding on and keeping control and at certain points in history having to make sure they kept control by means of assassinating presidents, um, whatever, you know, the the situation held. But, you know, at at this point, you know, but I was reminded, that's where I was going, I was reminded of when I had uh, Michael J. Murphy on talking about uh, chemtrails, and he brought up an, an inter- interesting uh, a point, and that is if you can affect the weather by means, of course, of chemtrails, because that's what we were talking about, aerosol spraying, I'll put, I'll say, um, then you can, if you can manipulate the weather in a certain part of the area, uh, well, you, you can flood out, make the land not usable, and then you buy that land up, and, and you know, so so you can direct where finances go by by means of destroying or or making one area simply not not usable. Uh, we've seen this happen during you know some of the floods in the in the Midwest. I think it was last year or something. A lot a lot of, when they opened the uh, oh please help me out here. What was that? Um, Oh, never mind. Anyway, Fort go. Calhoun. Uh, that might have been it. Was, was that where where they had the great floods? All, all these floods throughout. Oh, know. and they
4: were like whole cities. They were just flooding.
5: Right, right. And what and what had happened was, uh, certain agencies, uh, you know, went in, you know? and uh, bought up the land that the normal people couldn't farm on anymore.
3: Oh so, yes, of course. Uh, I think what what we're we're thinking of here is when the uh, the uh, Army Corps of Engineers of course, yes. actually blew up that dam yes. uh, and flooded, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of extremely rich farmland. We're talking about you know the heartland of America right. here, the the most rich soil in in the United States.
5: Yeah, that's exactly it. Thank you, Madison. My uh, my memory failed me right there, but you know is it for money? It, you know, is, is it for this or that? You know, who knows? I mean, th- th- this has been going on. And then I think, you know, people getting back to, you know, your, your original, uh, you know, topic in the, in the very beginning is, you know, who's at the, who's at the helm of all this, who's, who's running the show. Some would say the Rockefellers. some say the Rothschilds. some say this, some say that. Well, guess what? Like Bob said, these, these, you know, evil demons are only around for about 100 years. What happened before that? Who was running the show before that and who's going to run it after it? So I, I think it, it, you can't really put your finger on it. But bottom line is, you know, they, they, they have all that they need. I, I, I really, I don't think I can definit- definitively answer that question, Madison. You really got me thinking.
3: Yeah, uh, and I, I, I really agree on the point that, you know, they have so much money. A lot of these people are so absurdly rich that even giving away huge sums, sums so large that, that most of us uh, can't even imagine yeah, having this much money. Madison, uh, if,
4: I, if I may respectfully interject, is yes, fake. Yes, please do. Money's fake. Right.
3: It it's is. Fake. We're, but we're talking about uh, material goods. Let's resources. Put it resources. There we go. Thank you, JG. They have more resources than many of us. Could yeah, but ever they can't
4: imagine. be everywhere at all times.
3: That that is very true, and that that that's why you know I personally I think there is uh, something more to it than than just money. I personally think it is a, a deep psychological need to control uh, anything and everything that they can get their hands on, and we see this in some of the uh, the uh, aberrant behavior, sex, uh, especially sexual uh, aspects. Uh, you know, that that's tied in with with a lot of these individuals, but unfortunately we are coming up on the break here at the end of the first hour, but stay tuned because we have a lot more on the way on End the Lie Radio. Stick with us. And welcome back to End the Lie Radio. I'm your host, Madison Rupert, and of course my website is endthelie.com, and you can chat with us in real time and take part in this fascinating conversation on today, May the 27th, The day before Memorial Day uh, by going to bit.ly.com forward slash ETL radio. And today I have on three phenomenal guests JG Vibes of AOTMR. Dot com, and he has been writing uh, for several alternative news websites. Most recently, I've seen a lot of his work on theintelhub.com, and that is a nice segue into another guest we have today with us, Bob Tuscan of bobtuscan.com and The Bob Tuscan Show, and of course, theintelhub.com. And then we have Kurt of Room 101 Radio, and that is room101radio.net, or you can stay up all night like I will probably do tonight and listen to him bright and early in in the morning five o'clock a.m. my time pacific time or 8 a.m. eastern on room 101 radio here on orion uh talk radio and we were talking before that long break about you know what what is really driving uh, these people who are are uh, you know, the the uh, elite, if you will, but I hate using that term because that that seems to give them a lot more credit than uh, I think is due. Um, but we, we, we were discussing it before the break, you know, is it just money? Is there a psychological aspect? Is, is there, uh, you know, something else? Do, do they just love control? Do they love seeing suffering and creating artificial scarcity in order to watch people, uh, peck each other's eyes out to use the chicken analogy, just for, you know, a a single grain? Uh, what is it? And, uh, JG did not get a chance to jump in before the break. So JG, if you would, please share your thoughts.
6: Um, well, I think that these people in a lot of ways are, are addicted to having people serve them. Um, and I, I kind of think in in a lot of ways too, that they're, they're on this quest to, to rule the world, you know, that they're trying to reach for this ultimate prize that, that everybody has tried, but nobody has been able to do. Like, um, you know, I mean, for, for people that have everything, um, you know, I'm sure that, like, they, that there's nothing that they want materially, but, but ruling the whole entire earth is, is something that they, don't, that they don't have the ability to do. So that, that's kind of, I, I kind of feel like that's the only way that they'll be happy and that they know that in their heads. And I think that they were brought up into these traditions where, um, you know, they were told by their parents who were told by their parents that, you know, you were brought up into this, into this family and this family has, you know, a reputation and a dynasty and all this wealth and, and, you know, it's your job to protect this and add to it. And, and this is how we accomplish earning our wealth and all through the years you know, since feudalism, they've done it through violence and deception. And I think that they're just carrying on sick traditions. And there's definitely, we've passed the point, Bob's right, that there is no more scarcity. We're long past that point. I mean, I, I think in a lot of ways we probably could have ended scarcity around the Industrial Revolution. Um, and I think that a lot of people prevented that from happening. Probably because they panic and they really look at us as inferior creatures that that would not be able to manage ourselves. And they probably honestly think in their hearts that the whole world would go to hell if people were left to rule themselves. Because they just look at us with that kind of contempt and they see us as livestock, as cattle, and they they just don't think that we have the mental capability to make the kind of decisions that they do but i mean if you look at the state of our world right now how you know there's all this suffering and just mismanagement of resources and everything is in trouble as far as the ecosystem is concerned they're not making good decisions with it but i just think that they're they're so beyond reality that they don't even see it that way. I, I think that they have a completely different perception of the world than most
5: people do.
3: Well, that's a very good point. And I actually uh, recently I, I watched an interesting documentary uh, called Dive, and it's uh, essentially about, about what, what you're saying, that uh, scarcity, uh, at least in the United States, uh, which is, you know, what this was dealing with, uh, shouldn't exist. There is absolutely no reason why a single person in the United States should be going hungry, and that is because uh, we throw out so much food. It is absolutely. And then they ridiculous. Put logs on
4: the dumpsters.
3: Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly, and that's what it's focusing on. It's actually uh, following uh, a guy who, uh, you know, he's, he's not poor by any means. He has a home. Uh, he obviously has the means to make a documentary, uh, a, high, a pretty high-quality documentary, yet he chooses to dumpster dive to feed his family and friends just because he knows all this food, perfectly good food, mind you. They throw it out the day before it hits the expiration date, and in most cases, you know, it's absolutely flawless. There isn't a single... Uh, spot a mold on any of the produce, you know, it, it's absolutely perfect, uh, you know, maybe one cracked egg in a dozen, and they throw out the whole dozen, and they're they're perfectly good, uh, so he would get this stuff, and he has more food than he can eat, more food that even him and, you know, uh, dozens of friends can eat, um, so you know, it's, it's yeah. absolutely ridiculous Madison, and, yes,
4: if I may this, this practice has been happening on a much more macro of a, a level since uh, the advent of certain technologies that have allowed us to produce more on the farms than ever before. At approximately 1919, right before the roaring 20s, we had this newfound ability, and we were producing more than ever before. But because there was this abundance uh, and our system has always been based on scarcity, so this more it's basic here. Uh, the more scarce something is, the, the more the value is. Uh, and because they needed to perpetuate that, they poured milk down the drain, burnt crops, made people wait in a, in a bread line uh, during the Great Depression, uh, and still to this day spend billions of dollars for farmers not to grow food.
3: Yeah, that's a phenomenal point, and I actually want to tie that into uh, uh, something I saw last year. Uh, I was watching a clip from, I think it was CNBC, and they had, you know, some talking head on there, and she was saying to solve the economic crisis and the housing crisis, what we should be doing is actually destroying homes, not putting people in these empty homes that are just collecting dust and, you know, having uh, animals and so on just live in them uh, because, you know, they're just going to waste. She was saying we should actually just knock these down, and that would drive up the price of houses, and that is exactly, thank you for bringing up the the just uh, destruction of milk on a mass scale during the Great Depression. That's exactly, exactly what she was advocating. And you know what she said? She said, well, we did this in the Great Depression, you know, and it, and it helped then. And I mean, that, that's the level of delusion that these people operate on. I mean, it's, it, it just blows my mind that they think this is actually uh, a practice that should be continued. I mean, does that make any sense to anyone?
6: It's a broken window fallacy right there. And me and Bob were talking about that that one time. It's, yeah, uh, and
3: it, it's even worse, though. You know, and, oh, but yeah, uh, please, absolutely. please explain the the broken window uh, uh, theory that's been debunked over and over and over for people who aren't familiar.
6: Uh, that's basically it's uh, an Austrian economist uh, economist uh, Bastiat. Uh, he he was the one who I guess noticed it and gave it a name, and it, it was basically the idea that it was some somebody pe- people would say if some kid in the uh, neighborhood goes and breaks a window, that that's actually a good thing economically because, you know, you, it, it gives the, the window people a job, and it, it, whoever's cleaning it up, it gives them a job.
4: And- I, I like uh, Jeb Bush when he came out uh, after some really bad hurricanes here in the state of Florida. And by the way, uh, we're about to have a, a tropical storm hit where I'm at. Uh, supposedly it's supposed to get real windy tonight, so if I lose you guys, you'll know why. Uh, but he said, he said it best. He said, oh, well, I, I know there's been a lot of damage, but we got to look on the bright side. At least the roofing industry is going to be busy for the next few years. <laughs>
3: Yeah and that that's absolutely disgusting to me honestly it it makes me sick to my stomach. So that's well, capitalism. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah and uh, so but, well when we can can come back from the break because we're coming up on it right now we can tie that into war because that's exactly what they do bomb Oh it is. Well, and, and
5: it's absolutely ridiculous Madison. I mean you 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 know bringing up the the wars. Yeah let, let's go level an area of the world and then send our buddies in there. With contracts to rebuild it, 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 it's it's disgusting. I've said it numerous times. It's topsy turvy world. You know, up is down, black is white. Nothing seems to make sense anymore.
3: Well, we're not we're not we're not destroying their countries, Kurt. We're bringing them freedom. I I forgot dropping bombs, Nobel Peace bombs. Exactly. You know, that, that's really what it is. We're bringing them democracy because uh, without it, you know, they, they were living fine. But, you know, now we just have to, to uh, bomb their country back into the Stone Age in order to bring them democracy. I mean, how does that not make sense? Uh, that's on like
6: the, a totally, like, racist and ethnocentric attitude that they have in, in that regard. That like, there's these people that can't take care of themselves and we need to go in there with a bunch of weapons and tell them how to behave like that's just so offensive really and uh, just nobody in our country really realizes it
3: and and the most hilarious part is we come in and we uh foment ethnic tensions we foment sectarian violence we arm various sides and create even more violence and more chaos and then say look you're liberated (laughs) i mean what That, that makes no sense
5: you know, like J.G. was just saying, and and not to stray from, you know, the the topic of, of, you know, the the, the war part of it, uh, they do the same thing at a local level. You know, they say you can't take care of your kids, so we have to send our goons from our state agency to come in there and take your child away because we don't feel that you're – you're, you're a good parent or that you're worthy, you know. So it does happen, you know. It happens on a grand scale when we talk about wars internationally. It happens on a, on a very local scale uh, as far as, oh, you're, you're incompetent. You, you, you can't do things the right way. We'll show you how to do it. This is how you do it. We're right. You're wrong. And, and, I, and I can't remember who brought it up earlier, but I don't like, I don't like the, the term elites anyway because I think that it indirectly says that we're scum. You know, if we're not elites, you know, elites is only just, you know, because they have, you know, a certain amount of zeros after, you know, their, their worth or whatever, you know, when it comes to the fake money. Um, it, but, you know, regardless, I don't know. Okay, I'm done.
3: Yeah, I, I agree uh, wholeheartedly, and we see this come up in in a lot of different ways. But uh, most recently, I think uh, a good example is in in Massachusetts, where uh, I believe it was Massachusetts, is just off the top of my head. Um, the governor essentially uh, told the Department of Homeland Security and their child agencies, like ICE and the CB uh, the the CBd or whatever they are, um, CBP, excuse me. Um, he told them that he wants nothing to do with their so-called secure communities program, and that's that's the program where they uh, gather all of the biometric information and force uh, local law enforcement to give them all of the all of the uh, biometric information that uh, they gather in order to be put in a centralized database and the governor essentially said I won't sign it I won't you know we're not going to have this program here uh, you know too bad take a hike and they went uh, no we're doing it anyways end of story I mean it's literally like the you know state governments essentially have no n- no purpose anymore I mean here in here in California we have a legal medical marijuana program that has been in uh, you know the the current form since uh, I believe is 1996 so we've had this for quite a while and it has actually reduced you know drug related crime uh, I- at least in in uh, the marijuana uh, segment and you know it's it's caused uh, a huge, massive boom in in tax revenue and so on and so forth because the state can't actually uh, tax the transactions if they're being done above board. And, you know, it's spurred a huge economy here, and in every single way it has been beneficial. It has gotten medicine to people who need it. It has turned uh, cancer patients from... Criminals into cancer patients once again, who are, are just using their medication. But then the Feds step in and say, "No, your state law and uh, your your you know your uh, your entire uh, state's people who have voted for this and support this." You do not matter. Your, st- your say does not matter. We get to make the ultimate call, and here we come, busting down doors with automatic weapons and so on. I mean, it's it's just absolutely insane. The uh, non-existent authority that they just claim out of nowhere. To me, I, I find it uh, I, I find it repulsive because we're supposed to have. Uh, a separation of powers. We're supposed to have a democratic system here in the United States, and that's just clearly not the case anymore. What What do you guys have to say about that?
6: Um, I guess uh, I'll jump in. I, I, I definitely completely agree. I mean, I, I think that uh, overall, I mean, even what we had to begin with wasn't perfect because there was still aristocracy and there was still... Um, you know all this advantage taken of people, and um, but the as far as our generation is concerned, we've definitely been sold a bill of goods about the system and how it works and and why it works. And uh, anybody else?
4: Well, I, I would um, pick up with uh, the idea that there is no longer a system of checks and balances, Madison. There isn't. And a constitutional sheriff, as, as much as I'm not a fan of government and I'm more of a, you know, an anarchist, I would say, in, in many regards, without the negative connotation of that uh, word, you know, please, anarchy doesn't necessarily mean uh, that I'm going to join a black bloc or whatever.
3: Uh, i are not I'm smashing not... in Starbucks windows? No. Does that make I'm... such a big difference? So you're hurting the economy
5: then.
4: I might be. <laughs> yeah. I might be. Um, but uh, I, I prescribe – prescribe? No. I subscribe to Larkin Rose and, and some of his views uh, on this topic. Uh, and, and although I, I think that uh, we don't need this nanny state, we don't need this leviathan known as government – uh, I think that we should have checks and balances, and I think we should have control on a local level and not have the feds with such overriding power.
3: Yes, we should, Bob. Unfortunately, we're coming up on the break. You're listening to NLI Radio. We will be back in moments. moment. Stick with us. And welcome back to End the Lie Radio. I'm your host, Madison Rubert, On today with Kurt of Room 101, Bob Tuscan of The Bob Tuscan Show, and JG Vibes of AOTMR. and we have been discussing so many topics uh, for this past hour and a half. If you missed any of it, you are doing yourself a great disservice by not going back and listening to all of it. I highly recommend you do that, but I I actually want to shift gears a little bit, and I was discussing very briefly uh, the biometrics program, the so-called Safe Communities program, Um, and on a larger scale, we're seeing biometric programs and, and these, uh, these similar types of, uh, uh, of technologies being implemented across the world in, a, uh, in answer to what I think is a problem that never existed and that is the integration of uh, so-called cashless societies and cashless systems uh, india is is a phenomenal example and there are, there are many others but it is this this move towards uh non physical uh physical goods to uh, currencies where, uh, you know, that you just can't touch them. They're, n- they're non-tangible. You can never know where exactly your money is. And I want to highlight, you know, we're not here talking about a cashless society wherein uh, everything is provided for you free of charge and you don't have to worry about paying for anything. We're talking about a cashless society wherein uh, the, the currency is intangible and held in a digital form somewhere. Um, And I want to actually talk about, you know, the pros and cons. First, I'll introduce uh, the most common pro that we hear for this is convenience. And, you know, that you don't have to worry about getting robbed because no one can take your biometrically identified cash because, uh, obviously, they aren't you. So they can't steal your money. Uh, You know, someone can't mug you and take your wallet and and take your uh, paycheck that you just cashed. Um, and, you know, you don't have to carry around a bunch of change because it's, you know, you always have exact change. Uh, you don't have to ever worry about, uh, 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 you know, not having cash to uh, pay for the cab or, you know, whatever it may be. Uh, the, the common, the most common, I think, uh, at least as far as I've learned, the most common uh, attempt to justify uh, a cashless society is convenience, and second would probably be a, uh, a so-called, you know, prevention of crime and prevention of fraud and so on and so forth, because you can't really uh, pay your, uh, you know, a drug dealer uh, with, you know, a biometric identification card that's linked into a, a digital currency system uh, so that, you know, supposedly that'll cut down on crime, organized crime, tax dodging, so on and so forth. Um, but what, what do you guys uh, have to say about that? Kurt, you've been uh, kind of silent uh, in, the, in this hour, so I want to give you uh, the first stab at this. What are your thoughts on a uh, so-called cashless society?
5: Yeah, you're right. Cut down crime, Madison, because we never see any manipulations uh, when it comes to electronic funds. uh, Google ETF, Um, you know, yeah, you can you can play the convenience role all you want. And maybe the guy that you pass in the street can't rip you off. But those that issue this are at the helm of this program. Uh, Well, they can very well. See, your information has to go somewhere. You see, the amount amount that you can uh, take and spend has to be somewhere in some sort of database. It has to go back somewhere. So it's those people I would be worried about. I don't get robbed on a daily basis. Uh, (laughs) I I don't get robbed at all. Uh, There was one time in my life. I got I got robbed. Um, But that that's not a big problem for me. Um, There's also, you know, well, you know, it's absolutely ridiculous because for one, see, I'm a big proponent of, you know, if I can provide it myself, if I can provide whatever is needed for my family, well, then who who's going to take that away? Um, who can really just go in there without you know uh, a reason and take that away, like they could, if you had this, uh, you know, your 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 cash, your finances on some chip, uh, some biometric type technology? Um, I just completely lost my train of thought. A- anyway, you know, if I can't, if if, if mm-hmm. I supply it. If somebody else is supplying me something, they can easily take it away, okay? It's just like the cash everybody slaves where People chase their paper and, you know, it, 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 it can be taken away, and it is. People are robbed daily, you know, so I think your argument's weak.
3: Yeah, and what uh, – <laughs> what the uh, the counter argument would be and of course everyone who's listening if if this is not quite obvious i'm just playing the the devil's advocate here um, what the counter argument would be would be uh well that's that's just a conspiracy theory because we all know these institutions are totally trustworthy uh you know the federal reserve is totally trustworthy they're totally above board oh, yeah. and all the big I, banks they're totally trustworthy i mean
4: i i think the federal reserve and central banks on a whole are trustworthy. We can trust them to practice fractional reserve banking and essentially have zeros in a computer that represent uh, the exponential growth, uh, putting themselves in this hole of, of printing for every one piece of real value. 10 pieces of fraudulent value. Uh, so I, th- I think they're very trustworthy in that regard and I, I think uh, in many regards we already have a cashless society because cash is fake fiction. and it doesn't yeah, it's a fiction it, it's uh, you know at the end of the day uh, the overwhelmingly large uh, you know amount of that supposed cash is just a zero in a computer somewhere
3: that's a phenomenal point bob and one one great way that we can see this is in the form of loans uh there was actually one court case where a guy uh essentially got out of paying his mortgage because he could prove that the money that they loaned him never existed they never had it and uh, it, it never existed in a vault anywhere. They were never in possession of it. If he came and said, give me all my money right now, they wouldn't have it. So they were essentially loaning him uh, digital currency that they uh, created out of thin air. So I, I think that's a phenomenal point, Bob.
5: And, and, and to counter to counter your uh, you know, devil's advocate position, Madison we've been uh, living in a cashless society for years now all of us have and we get robbed all the time
3: that, that's that's a, a great point as well I would have a, a hard time of on, honestly uh, uh, even attempting to win an argument on on this subject it would be uh, quite difficult indeed but uh, JG where do you stand on this subject
6: um, I definitely agree I mean but I I, I, I mean I think You guys would probably agree, too, but it wasn't mentioned that uh, I I think that this will be presented as an answer to the economic collapse that has been completely engineered by the same people who are going to be presenting uh, this as an option, you know what I mean?
3: That, that's actually a great a great point. I, I didn't even think of that. you know, I think there's various various things that they could uh, supposedly uh, you know or they could introduce to supposedly uh, fix our problems, you know, one of them being uh, cashless uh, society, another one uh, perhaps uh, the the gold standard, and you know a lot of people, that'll get a lot of people riled up. Uh, because they support the gold standard, but you have to realize uh, who holds the most gold. If you think you have enough gold to uh, compete with the the world's largest banks and uh, and state and so forth. Madison,
4: yeah, thanks, because the gold uh, thing really bugs me, and that's one of the uh, points of contention I have with Ron Paul's platform, although I, I think he's a tremendous asset in many regards. Uh, The notion that uh, those that own the gold make the rules, and that's the true golden rule, really uh, resonates with me. And here's the other thing about the gold. The only reason why gold is valued is not because it's shiny and it looks nice. No, it's because it's scarce and because there's only so much. But uh, you might find this interesting, gentlemen, that there is a new technology that exists that can extract VARIOUS ELEMENTS FROM OCEAN, seawater, AND PRODUCE MORE GOLD THAN HAS EVER BEEN HARVESTED FROM THE ACTUAL GROUND. NOW WHY DON'T THEY DO THIS? WELL, BECAUSE IT'S NOT VERY LUCRATIVE. IT'S A VERY EXPENSIVE TECHNOLOGY, AND IT ONLY COSTS THEM 300 TO USE SOME SLAVES TO BLOW THEMSELVES UP IN THE HILLS OF HAITI OR IN THE HILLS OF AFRICA. WHY USE THIS VERY EXPENSIVE TECHNOLOGY WHEN ALL YOU'RE GOING TO DO IS CREATE SO MUCH GOLD that, yeah, we might be able to use a lot of it as a conductor, but the actual precious value, the precious metals, as they call them, will completely deplete. It, it would lose its value, the same way uh, anything loses its value when it's found and complete abundance.
3: Yep, and that means a loss of control, and, and you're listening to end the lie radio i'm your host madison rupert and we unfortunately are in the last segment of today may 27th this phenomenal show with kurt of room 101 bob Tuscan of the bob Tuscan show and jg vibes of aotmr.com and of course i'm your host madison rupert of end the and in this last segment uh, i want to give the floor over to uh, jg to talk a little bit about currency so JG, if you would.
6: Um, yeah, well, uh, I, something that uh, Bob was talking about earlier about the gold uh, definitely sounded interesting to me because um, in in my book I have something in the back like of uh, just you know my ideas of like how things might might be able to work, and of course I have like a big disclaimer at the beginning of the chapter that's like this is just some ideas that I'm throwing out here. You know what I'm saying? I fully am down with people critiquing it and stuff. But Bob said that um, the the whole gold thing and uh, the scarcity and it is it is considered valuable because it's rare. But just because it's considered valuable, I mean, or, or considered valuable doesn't mean that it is. And just because something is rare doesn't necessarily mean it's valuable even though that's what our society kind of looks at. And I think it might be a good idea to if we need a medium of exchange like a currency to base it on something that isn't scarce. And one of my ideas is food. You know, I mean everybody can grow food and they have the potential to have a a gold mine in their backyard and it would Uh, increase food production because it would give people incentive to grow food. And um, now this might be a crazy idea that has a ton of holes in it, you know what I'm saying? But this is just something that I've been kicking around, Um, you know, and we could have community food banks or something. I'm, I'm not really sure exactly how it could work, but why not base our medium of exchange on something that is abundant? Uh, I think that would be a better path to abundance than basing our medium of exchange on something that's rare. Um, Maybe you guys find some holes in that or what do you think?
4: Well, if we have abundance, J.G., we no longer need the carrot and stick approach.
6: You know, uh, you're saying if we have abundance, we'll no longer need the medium of exchange at all.
4: Precisely. So it's, it's kind of, uh, at that point, moving beyond the, the need to barter. Because at the end of the day, that's all bartering is. It's, uh, and that's all our money system is an extension of, the barter system. I only have this many apples for that many oranges, and so on. But at and the same
3: they, time, the people will, you know, there's, there's some things that I know I cannot do. You know, I, I say, uh, you know, I, I can't weave a basket. For instance, and I need a basket. Uh, you know, I could uh, trade uh, something that uh, you know I can create personally um, for that. You know, that goes down to just basic bartering. But I think there is a reason why the IRS uh, is hugely anti-barter, wouldn't you say? I mean, when oh, it comes I, down I definitely... to it, they, they can't tax it. And they, get, they can't control it, and it's just free exchange of goods. And when it, when it comes down to it, that can't be uh, that can't be uh, something that, that can be encouraged or even allowed to occur, wouldn't, wouldn't you say? Yeah,
6: I guess you're right. And I think uh, the way you just described that, and with what Bob was saying, I guess in a situation of abundance, um, it would be more so of a direct barter kind of situation because people would already have those resources so they would pretty much only be trading for services.
3: Yeah, and I personally you know, I think that that would be uh, extremely positive. If you have all of your basic needs covered uh, you know, you can start working towards greater things. You know, it's the classic, uh, what is it, Maslow's uh, hierarchy of needs you know, and at yeah, the but, top Go ahead, Bob.
4: J.G., one of the things about that though is Then we get into the idea um, that, for the most part, we have today, which is a service-based economy, which also doesn't work in my eyes. Yeah, you're right. Because to think that somebody's art, for instance, is more valuable than somebody else's art is completely artificial. The whole notion of art and value is, is subjective bullshit. It's part of my language.
3: So, at the well, does end of the- that subjectiveness necessarily uh, make it invalid? If I want your art more than than uh, someone else's art, and I'm willing to give you more for it because someone else wants your art uh, equally as much, and I will give you more than that other person, does that necessarily uh, make it invalid? Or you know, is is this subjective no. aspect any less valid?
4: No, that's that's a good point, Madison, but. I still see a problem with it. I, don't know no, no, I, I mean, think.
6: this is really awesome mind-bending stuff here, you know what I mean?
3: Yeah, and I, I can see 100% see your point, Bob, uh, in in the way that it's run now. You know, okay, art is determined, uh, the value of art is determined just by, uh, you know, oh, this guy's famous, therefore it's worth more, you know? Yeah, and 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 all
4: scarcity. You know, that, yeah. that there's only one painting of the Mona Lisa, and, and the reality of the situation is any of us can look at it on our frickin' computer screens. Open source information and, and the abundance of media and these sorts of things is really the way of the future.
3: I, I, I totally agree, but at the, at the same time, you know, if I want someone's art and, uh, you know, the guy next door wants that person's art as well, and, uh, you know, we're willing to, uh, you know, essentially one-up each other in order yeah, to... Yeah, but where does that come
4: from? Where does that desire come from? And I, I think that's, that's uh, you know, we're, we're talking about human behavior now, and I, I think that behavior is something that maybe we have to grow out of.
3: I, I think that's a good point as well because honestly, uh, I you know that that kind of drive necessarily wouldn't even uh, exist unless we we had the the kind of society that we have uh, nowadays, wouldn't wouldn't you say?
4: Yeah, who the hell cares about being fashionable? You know, it all goes back to Edward Bernays and some of the work he did, uh, trying to get people for the first time to buy because of an emotional need or something beyond just the pragmatic use of, of a coat. You know, in other words, a, a coat keeps us warm because it's cold out. And if we could get people to say, well, this coat is fashionable and blah, 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 then we could really tweak people to uh, be in this sort of social Darwinist-based control grid, if you ask me. So I don't know if that, that makes sense, but that's how I kind of see that sort of attitude and mentality that we need to have this painting or that CD and only I can have this and there's this, you know, scarcity and trendiness to it all. It's a more, more of the artificial uh, result of our system.
3: I, I wholly agree on on the scarcity front but at the same time you know uh human beings do love beautiful things you know there there is a certain uh uh attachment towards uh you know a, a it's value yes and you know if i want a, a beautiful uh image on my wall and this is coming from someone who has absolutely blank walls i couldn't care less for posters and that kind of stuff but say i you know i i'm just being a devil's advocate here. Say I want uh, some, you know, beautiful thing adorning my walls. It doesn't necessarily have to be scarce, but, you know, some people want that, and I, I don't think well, that that Madison, should be prevented.
4: Let me just bring this up, and I know we're running low on time here. I have a stick, Okay. And uh, you might look at this stick and say, oh, well, it's just a stick. What's your obsession? But I love this stick. I've carried this stick with me my whole life, Madison. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I uh, was saved by this stick. Uh, the stick has been with me uh, at my, you know, everything, okay? P- point being, okay, and I don't really have a stick like this, but the point being, Uh, we've all experienced this genuine sentiment, uh, sentimental, or whatever the word is, attachment to something, and at least that's genuine, And, and that has nothing to do with something being sold to us. And I think that is, at the end of the day, what we need to be valuing in our lives are these personal genuine things and you guys the stick might be a bad example but you guys know what i'm talking about
3: i completely know what uh, you're talking about i mean it's like with a pet you know your pet might not be uh worth anything to anyone else but you know you will not take ten thousand dollars for your much
4: better of an example much better
3: but I, I tell you know the stick is, is very true. You know you use that walking stick and you you know summit Denali and Everest with it, and then you bring it home. And someone's like, "Why do you have that dirty stick laying around?" And you're like, "Well, that stick has been with me across the world." <laughs> so you know you have to you have to keep that stuff in mind. And that is subjective value, but it is a, a more subjective, uh, more uh, worthy subjective value. I would say, wouldn't you, both
4: Yeah, it's a genuine one. It's not one sold on some sort of programming from MTV.
3: Yeah, that's a beautiful way to wrap up the show. Uh, This has been a phenomenal show. I want to thank my guests, Bob Tuscan, Kurt of Room 101. Stay up all night like me and listen to that in the morning. And JG Vibes, of course, of AOTMR.com. I'm Madison Rupert. And is my site. We will see you next week. Thanks for listening.